Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. you open up to James chapter 3 verse 1 today. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Travis. Um, it's so awesome to be here and to worship together and to then be able to open up God's word in freedom. <clears throat> Think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who to do this would mean death. What a blessing it is that we can open up our Bible. I can preach it in public. No one's storming in the doors. Don't you love the blessing of God? Don't you thank him for the freedom we have to worship him? It won't always be like this. It won't. But we get to now. Be thankful for this. Amen? Several weeks back, I was uh, mowing my lawn and uh, listening to a podcast at the same time, and I heard this kind of funny story. Um, on June 8th, 1845, our seventh president, Andrew Jackson, don't know if you know anything about him, but he passed away on that day. A few days later at his funeral, people were gathering to, um, to mourn him, and uh, his, his household was there, his, his family was there, and all these people were gathering, and right before the the sermon uh, at his funeral, one of the members of his household um, started just swearing uncontrollably, making a huge, that's supposed to be funny, by the way. Uh, it's a true story, but like just started swearing and making a, a, a gigantic, um, yeah, cacophony of noise. And they couldn't settle this member of his family down. And, and the member of his family actually had to be escorted out of the funeral. It was so bad. That member of his family was his pet parrot. <laughs> uh, Jackson, our seventh president, was not known for his verbal restraint. He uh, had quite a colorful mouth, as they would say. Um, he let the swear words fly often and loudly. And it seems that this poor bird was just trying to honor his departed master the only way he knew how, <laughs> by, repeating, by repeating his words back to him at his own, at his own funeral. <laughs> when I heard the story, I kind of laughed like you were, and then like, like this like sober moment came over me as I'm mowing my lawn, I kind of stopped for a second. And I was like, man, that's, that's kind of scary. Because like a, par a pet parrot, I guess, would be like, it, like that day is the 1800s version of like voice memos on your iPhone. And what if every time you spoke or said anything, that was recorded and then played back at your funeral? What if every word I've ever said was recorded and then when you all came to mourn me, because you all know you're going to live longer than me. When you, I have six daughters. You're going to live longer than me. <laughs> I say that too much. I blame too much on them. They're beautiful and wonderful, and they're gonna, I'm going to live long because of them. But uh, what if everything I said ever was recorded and played back for you at my funeral? What if everything you ever said was recorded and played back at your funeral? At my funeral, if everything I ever said was read in your hearing, what would the words of this man testify about the character of this man. Because words aren't just words, are they? They are a glimpse of something much deeper. James, the man who wrote this book, his brother, his half-brother was Jesus. And I can't help but believe that when James wrote this chapter, his brother and his master, his savior, Jesus, his words was, were echoing in his mind. Jesus in Luke 6, 43 through 45 says this, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our mouths, how we use this gift of language that God has given humankind, is one of the most basic and core aspects of following Jesus. 
because our mouths represent the state of our hearts. And today, James, Jesus' brother, is going to take us to school on our mouths. James 2, what we just studied last week, the last part of James 2, I believe sets up the context for James 3. I believe it's what James is possibly referring to when he talks to us about how we use our mouths in chapter 3. James in chapter 2 has just described what he calls a dead faith, faith without works, or faith that says one thing but a life that does the other. And he says that kind of faith is dead faith. It's not a live faith. It's a dead faith. And so there's a high likelihood in my heart and mind that what James is saying here is, I've just told you that there's such a thing as dead faith. And now let me give you exhibit A, a destructive tongue. Let me show you what a dead faith looks like. It's a person who says, I worship God, but destroys other people with their mouth. That makes what we say a lot more serious, doesn't it? Kind of brings it in the forefront. It just got real. Because James is talking about dead faith and then the next thing he says is, church, look at how you use your mouths. This week has been rather hard for me having to study this. It's so convicting. And I'm becoming very convinced that the misuse of the mouth is perhaps one of the most clear evidence of a dead faith. This passage we're gonna study is very serious and we shouldn't look at it as optional. Shouldn't look at it as, um, here's some advice for how to win friends and influence people. We should possibly look at it as here is the fruit of your life, how you speak. And if the fruit is bad, perhaps your soul is bad. James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Who's James talking to? The whole world right now? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. Not many of you Christians should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Right out of the gates, James makes a point that is completely foreign to our freedom of speech saturated Western ears. Right out of the gates, James says, church, Christian, limit your influence. Limit the breadth of influence and the people that are able to hear what you have to say and what you think. He's talking to Christians. But we have Jesus' truth, yeah. And he says, not many of you should be teachers. Not many of you should have a big, wide audience. There are not many Christians who should seek greater influence. And I gotta tell you that that has given me huge pause this week. Because as I'm studying this, I know that what I'm doing is I'm gonna come up and stand on a platform and talk to hundreds of people. And I'm not sure that my character can handle that. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm godly enough to be able to have an audience like you that I have influence over. This has given me huge pause whether I should have even been the one to preach this message this week. but maybe in the grace of God, it's just because God had a lot to teach me on this and so he made me teach it. You learn a lot more teaching than you do listening, amen? Because those who take greater influence, who take on greater influence, are also agreeing to stricter judgment. That's why he says, how, how many of you should be Influencers, how many of you should be teachers in the church? Not many, because there's gonna be stricter judgment. And the question left hanging open that we don't know is, does he mean greater stricter judgment by God or greater stricter judgment by other people? We know the other people part is true. As soon as I stand up here and say a bunch of stuff, if I'm talking about how you should use your mouth and then you go hear me out just, just railing on someone after this, you should be like, you're a hypocrite. 
you, you don't even practice what you preach. So getting up in front of people and teaching something definitely puts you in the place of being more strictly judged, right? But the question we don't know is, is he saying stricter judgment by God? You put yourself out there to be heard by all these people and you're putting yourself possibly under a place where God's judgment of you and his discipline in your life is gonna be greater. But here's the big takeaway from this morning, whether or not it means by God or by others, here's the, one of the big takeaways from this morning. Citizens of Jesus's kingdom are required to limit the breadth of their influence so that it never outpaces the depth of their character. We are required to limit the breadth of our influence of what we think and our opinions and things we wanna teach people and everything beautiful, wonderful, and uh, brilliant things that come to our minds. We are required to limit the breadth of our influence so that it never outpaces the depth of our character. The more influence you have, the more damage you do. And your use of words is an indicator of the condition of your soul. I just think about the Western church and there's all these churches, including ours, that have hundreds of people who come into a room and there are churches that have thousands of people coming into a room and a pastor gets up and preaches the way we ought to live. How many people in America, how many pastors, how many Christians can handle leading thousands of people? How many of our character matches that kind of influence? Not many. What do we do about that? I don't know. But each one of us has to choose to limit our influence. Not for Jesus, but in promoting and saying and expressing ourselves. Because your words are an indicator the condition of your soul. Look, look what he says in verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. Amen? Okay, that was weak. For we all stumble in many ways. Amen? Amen. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect or complete man, also able to bridle his whole body. What he's saying here is that if you have conquered your mouth, if you can have complete control of your mouth, you've already conquered everything else because that's the hardest one. Amen. How many of you this week, by show of hands, have said something that you just wish words were actually physical so you could grab it and pull it back into your mouth and say, no, how many of you by show of hands have, have said that? The rest of you are lying. It's cool. Or no, you're not lying. You, you just think that everything you said was awesome and it wasn't. What he's saying is that there's a connection between what we say and what's in here. You know, it's been said that the eyes are the window to the soul. I think Shakespeare said that. We tend to quote it as the Bible, but I don't know that the Bible says that anywhere. It might be true. I mean, I think you can see a lot in someone's eyes, but I want to offer to you a different version of that. Perhaps the mouth is the window to the soul. I think that's what James is saying here. If your words were perfect, it would show that you're perfect inwardly. So let me ask you a question. Are your words perfect? No. Were Jesus' words perfect? Yeah. And what did that show? Inward perfection. The mouth is the window to the soul. Now James, in rapid succession, shows us three sobering realities about our tongues, about our mouths. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. We guide a horse by what? By its mouth. One little bit in its mouth drives the whole horse. Verse four, look at, also, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. Church, this mouth that you have and this gift of speech God's given you, 
Your mouth may be small, but it is so powerful. It can guide and direct the entire direction of your life. Our mouths have disproportionate power. It may be one of the smaller parts of our body, but it has some of the biggest influence. It is so powerful. Last part of verse five, he then goes on with another illustration and says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh Uh-huh. Anyone go outside and breathe the air lately? Those didn't start by like all of a sudden it was like, you know, 100,000 acres fire. That's not how it started. How did it start? One flash, one match, one, you know, spark from a cable. Small. And it's blown up into acres and acres and homes and businesses. Forests set ablaze by what? Such a small thing. And the tongue, verse six, is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The picture James is giving us is that our tongue is like kindling. When you, when you go camping, how do you start a campfire? Do you take a gigantic log, like a Bic lighter, and just start trying to light it? No, what do you do? You take something small, twig-like, that's very easy to be set on fire. And then what do you do? You put that under some bigger logs, and then bigger and bigger, and what happens? You have a roaring campfire before too long. Church, Our mouths are kindling. We may think our words are insignificant and small, but with them we set forests of people ablaze. It's never just words. Because our mouths are capable of disproportionate destruction. Not only do they have disproportionate power, our mouths are capable of disproportionate destruction. How many wars have been started in human history because of words? How many millions and millions and millions of people have died because someone who had great influence did not have the character to back it up and said something really dangerous and set a whole country, a whole world on fire? Our mouths are capable of disproportionate destruction. A few years back, sad to say that my pride caught up with me. God, um, through his grace and his mercy, showed me not just that I had had a problem with pride my whole adult life, but that I was a prideful man. That it characterized me. And because of having influence here at the church, being on staff, there were people under my care that because of my influence, I hurt. And he sent me to several of these people to ask for forgiveness. One, one of my friends who I deeply love came to me and the first words out of his mouth when we were meeting said, this is not gonna be fun. And it wasn't because the influence I had over him and the fact that my character in some areas had not caught up to my influence caused deep pain in his heart and I caused destruction in his heart because I had influence that outmatched my character. And it grieved me and he forgave me. Our mouth can destroy people. My mouth can and in some ways has destroyed people. Verse seven, 
for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Imagine a poisonous snake. Here's what he's saying. Our mouths require disproportionate effort to control. Anyone agree with that? I wish I had a dollar for every time I said, I shouldn't have said that. Have every kind of beast. There are tigers and lions that we have in cages. We have elephants that will like kneel down and you can get up and ride on at SeaWorld or wherever they do that. I don't know. If they, not do that. they might not do that anymore. I don't think that's cool anymore, is it, to ride an elephant? They don't let you do that. Who knows? But we have these gigantic creatures and they do what we say. But I can't even keep the words in my mouth in check. It is incredibly hard to control our mouths. It takes a disproportionate amount of effort to control. So now, because that is true, doesn't James' first instruction make so much sense in light of this? Because there's such evil that can come out of my heart and the mouth is the way it comes out, shouldn't I then, doesn't it just make logical sense that I should limit my influence so that my character can handle it? If I can do such destruction with my mouth, then maybe my mouth and my words and my thoughts shouldn't be able to be heard by so many people. We live in a crazy day right now. If I chose to, and I don't, but if I chose to have social media, I could literally type a few things in a moment of passion, hit, what do you do? Click post or whatever, I don't know. Click post, I'm so dumb. Click post. And then anyone in the world who wants to see it can see what Travis Edgerton, little old me, thinks. That's not good. I'll be honest, I've stayed off of social media for selfish reasons because I just don't want to have to deal with it and I don't want more places where people can get a hold of me and discourage my heart. But I think God has used that selfish reason for a very good thing because I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I could handle the responsibility. I don't think my character could handle having a group of 100 or 200 or 300 people knowing what I think at a moment's notice. What a weird day we live in. And it makes James's commands to us all the more important. You have to. Just because you can do something, do we ever stop and say, but should I? You can put your thoughts out there to all these people you're connected on online. But do we stop and say, does my character make it so that that's not dangerous? This isn't a guilt thing, but I think many, many, many more of us should be shutting down our social media or making some really hard and fast rules about what we post, only encouraging things that we won't post our opinions. Because who says you're right? Prove it. I have an opinion and I'm right. Prove it. How do you know? I'm angry and so people need to hear. Do they? Or how about this? I dare, I triple dog dare you. What if you made some rules for your social media and gave those rules to a really trusted Christian friend that doesn't always agree with you? And, and, and with those rules, you wrote down your login and your password and said, if I break these rules, you can log in and delete my social media. I dare you. We have to limit our influence because we are broken. Amen? 
And now James brings the house down with this sickening summary of what it is that we're doing when we misuse God's gift of speech to us. Verse nine, with it, our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It's so true. I'm so frustrated with myself on this. How many of us come to church on Sunday and we sing, oh, my soul, sing to the God of the ages, sing to the Lord of the heavens, sing his praise again. And on Monday, Joe Biden's an idiot. (laughs) Donald Trump's the devil. Nancy Pelosi can. My neighbor's a. We laugh, but that's shocking hypocrisy. That I would bless my God with my mouth, but the people that he made in his image and he loves, I'll destroy. It's shocking hypocrisy. And we should be cut to the heart and we should be on our knees in repentance because we're the church We're supposed to be the place where people come to find life and our tongues kill people and run them down and make them feel small. Our mouths are capable of shocking hypocrisy, praising God while cursing his imagers. I'm not preaching at you, church. I'm sad. I'm sad because if you heard every word I ever said, you'd know what a hypocrite I am. So enough of that. I find it troubling in others, but more in myself, the lines I draw and say this far, no further in this war against what the culture of this world wants to do. You know, we, we, we have all these values and these things that we stand for and say the culture around us, we have to resist the way the world is influencing. We have to resist the way of this world that's destructive and sinful. And so we'll get out there and we'll, we'll, we'll speak on injustice and we'll rally in the streets against abortion and, and we'll, we'll get up and say all these strong, powerful things against these these pressures and these ways of the world. And and maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. But there are things we have to stand against and we have to resist. The evil in the world, the church does need to resist. Amen? But why don't we resist at the most basic level? Why aren't we out in the streets picketing and saying, I will not bow to this world and use my mouth to destroy other people? I'll pick an abortion and abortion is an evil that God needs to wipe out. But why don't we start with the basics? Why don't we stand up against the plague of the mouth in this world? Do you think that's not the world influencing you? Do you think that you speaking horrible, I speaking horrible things about people made in God's image, you don't think that's the world influencing us and the world creeping into the church and the devil getting his claws on us? Why aren't we out in the street saying, I will not use my mouth to destroy the image of God? But we'll pick at the things we care about. I'll complain about all the injustices I think and I see. But what about the injustice of my mouth? What if the main way that Christians stood up and resisted the broken culture around us is that we refuse to keep destroying each other with the freedom of speech? If we did that, I think the watching world might actually want to come and know what Jesus is all about. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree by my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
The answer to these questions is no. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? It does not. So if it's pouring forth bitter, salty water, what is true of the spring? It's bitter and salty. What comes out tells you what is in. This is scary to me. James is saying that bitter water does not flow out of a fresh spring. So here's the crazy, scary thing to consider. If my words are generally characterized as bitter and destructive, then perhaps the spring of my heart that they flow from has not been redeemed or cleansed. If the majority of what comes out of my mouth or even a lot of what comes out of my mouth is bitter, is unclean, is destructive, then perhaps that says that my soul is in the same state. I'm not preaching works salvation. I'm saying what James is saying. What comes out of the mouth is representative of what's actually in the heart. Jesus said it too. And I am so convicted by this this week. I'm so utterly convicted by this. Because church, a destructive, divisive mouth may be the sign of a dead faith. So everyone feels encouraged right now, right? It does feel like this passage delivers a lot of bad news about our hearts and about our mouths, but I will not and I don't want to leave it there. The message of the gospel is not, and I repeat, is not, you are deeply flawed, your mouth is full of garbage, there is no hope, that is all. Amen? That is not the message of the gospel. Praise God. Praise and glory to God that that is not the gospel message. The gospel does lovingly show us our brokenness and our slavery to sin. But between our sin and the end, what? There stands a cross and an empty tomb and a King Jesus who is raised and ascended to the right hand of God and has a power and authority over all things, including my mouth. That's the gospel. Aren't you glad that if you've given your life to Jesus, he's king, not just of the stuff you have, not just over your sin, but he is king and Lord over this, your mouth, and he can change it. Amen? He can change it. It's ridiculously hard, but Jesus can change us. Not only this, but those who trust Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in them. We have God living inside of us. What we are too weak and unable to do, he will do through us if we surrender to him every day. That is good news. What is good news? What is now possible because of what Jesus did and what the Holy Spirit can do? Here's our answer to the plague of our mouths. Kingdom citizens must be willing to devote a disproportionate amount of prayer, time, effort, and repentance to keep their mouths submitted to King Jesus. You say, how's that good news? That sounds like work. The good news is that as we submit to Jesus, he changes our heart and a changed heart changes the mouth. The good news is that you don't have to stay the way you are. You don't have to be a force of destruction to the people around you like some of us are right now. The good news is that as we surrender to King Jesus, he changes our heart and our hearts change our mouth. It is so very hopeful that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we absolutely can change. Here's the encouraging thing. If our mouths are capable of unbelievable destruction, they are also capable of unbelievable blessing. Doesn't that make sense? If my mouth is so disproportionately powerful that it can cause great damage, what else can it cause? 
If I surrender it to God, it can cause great blessing, great life and encouragement and goodness and hope where there was only loss. Encouragement where there was only a heart that was feeling like it's time to give up. Our mouths are unbelievably powerful in the other direction as well. When I was a kid, about 12 years old, something like that, in junior high, I had a group of friends that, um, man, they weren't encouraging, and I was trying to follow the Lord the best I could, you know, but, you know, I... I think sometimes they looked at me as a goody two-shoes or whatever. I was just trying to honor Jesus, and maybe I was a goody. I don't know. I was probably a little jerk in some way or another, but they, uh, they were just hard on me, and I didn't want to leave them because um, I didn't want to be alone. I was just disheartened, and I didn't even know if I wanted to keep coming to church. I just didn't know what I wanted to do, and Doug Bentley sent me a card. He was a youth worker, still is. And um, he just sent me a card that said, Travis, I know you're down. I know your friends have been hard on you. And I know you feel like giving up. But keep trusting God. He's not done. Keep going. Keep going. Doug. That kept me going. And uh, I consider it one of the links in the very long chain of people who encouraged my heart, that kept me following Jesus to the extent that I feel that I'm a pastor here today because of that. Now, some of you may be like, I wish you wouldn't have encouraged him. I don't like that guy. Uh, but like it or not, one of the reasons I'm here, one of the links in the chain, chain was that Doug Bentley saw a discouraged heart and use his words and there have been many others thank you duck now why do i cry so much <sighs> Thank you. Uh, here's the deal. Hearing this kind of stuff, our tendency will be maybe to try to buckle down and exert a lot of self-discipline and beat our mouths into submission. And in some ways, that is necessary. That self-control, that, that self-discipline is very necessary because our hearts have to catch, our mouths have to catch up to where our hearts are going. But if, but if that kind of behavior modification is all it is, it's not yet the gospel. The gospel is not about behavior modification. We do have to modify our behavior to honor Jesus. But Jesus is more interested in character transformation, inside out, right? So I want to talk to you just really quickly about interchange. Change inside, and here's how I want to describe it. An hour spent in the presence of Jesus is more powerful than a whole day spent in restraint. Here's how I picture that. Would you rather spend all day trying to restrain this evil beast or would you rather transform the beast? An hour or two hours spent with Jesus in the morning has more hold and control on your day than spending the rest of the day trying to slap your hand to not do the bad stuff when we behold the goodness, the greatness, the grace, the wonder of Jesus, and we stay there and we keep looking and we keep seeking and we keep finding how good he is, it makes all the other stuff just seem like garbage. So an hour or two hours spent with Jesus in the morning is more powerful than a whole day spent in restraint. Our mouths are a reflection of our hearts. And if you want your speech to change from the heart, you must daily be in the presence of Jesus in prayer and worship.
And as Jesus changes you, so your mouth will follow. I promise. I don't promise. God's word promises. You may say, I don't have time for that, Travis. I'm busy. I don't have time to spend an hour with Jesus in the morning. I don't have time to spend two hours with Jesus in the morning. I don't have time for that. If you have time for Netflix, Disney Plus, podcasts, reading books, or eating lunch, you have time to spend with Jesus. I'm not saying this is a legalistic, do this because it makes God happy. I'm saying if you want to be like Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. So don't tell me you don't have time for that. Stop doing something and start doing that. You don't have time not to. It should be basic to the Christian faith that every single one of us barely will let our feet hit the ground or leave the door before we've spent a a very large amount of time with Jesus. We look at that and we say, that's weird. I think it should be normal. And I didn't realize that until just recently, honestly. I've never done that until recently. I'm a pastor. That's sad. You should be scared. But see, there's also this reality that, when, that we are all in process. Are you in process? Is where you are today in your heart, in your inner being, where it's going to be in 10 years? No, I hope not. I hope where you're going to be is a much greater, more glorious, holy place. And so there's these times where we do have to restrain our behavior because our behavior, our heart hasn't caught up to what Jesus is wanting us to be. And so we do have to express some restraint over ourselves, right? It's called obedience. So I want to talk to you about outer change as well, because it is important for us to to exert self-discipline in a way that honors Christ, even when our heart isn't completely there. So outer change, these are patterns and habits that the Holy Spirit can empower so that we will image God well. Notice what I said. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just, I'll try real hard. This is God. I cannot. You have to help me. And then letting him empower new, redeemed behavior. Earlier in the book, chapter 1, verse 19, James previews chapter 3 by saying we ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So I want to share with you what I'm calling, it's cheesy, mouth hacks. Hacks, or, you know, one of my daughters said, hey, hacks isn't a thing anymore, Dad. So I'm very insecure that this is like making me seem really old. But I'm just going to embrace it because I am. These mouth hacks, these things that I believe honor this command of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I might go through these kind of quickly. So if you want to write them all down, but you can't, don't worry. We're going to post them later. And hopefully the ones that are good and are, are, are from God will get posted. And the ones that aren't, God will just miraculously delete. Let me put these things forward to you. First one. More questions, less statements. More questions, less statements. One of my um, friends and mentors, Marvin Jacobo, took me aside one time when I was young, probably 19 years old, and he said, Travis, you, you, you have a lot to say. And my response was kind of, yeah, I sure do. And then I saw the look on his face. He wasn't saying that as a, a good thing. <laughs> he said, um, You make all these pronouncements. This is the way it is. Maybe you should start asking more questions. Maybe you should be curious before you're convicted. Maybe you should start asking more questions before you make pronouncements. And that wisdom, though I didn't listen to it for many years, was a seed planted in my heart is something that I'm definitely changing because of that truth he put in my life. More questions, less statements. Number two. When frustrated or angry or really opinionated, stop talking or stop typing. When you are frustrated, when you are angry, when you are highly opinionated, you are not sane. And you are most likely not in the control of the Holy Spirit. 
if you want your mouth to honor Jesus when you are angry, when you are frustrated, when you are hurt, when you want to express a very strong opinion, stop talking, stop typing, start praying. Three, only express 10% or less of the opinions you have. Let the the rest of the 90% be a reverse tithe to Jesus. You know, with money, the Bible says, hey, give 10% and live off of 90. And I think with words, we should probably live off of 10% and give the rest 90 as a tithe to God, a reverse tithe to God and a great blessing to all the people around you that didn't ask what you thought. (laughs) And me. Four. Follow the five to one ratio. This is arbitrary. I just picked some numbers. There's no science behind this, but you'll get the point. Five encouragements for every one correction or critique. The people around you, including yourself, will remember the negative things that are said to them and how that makes them feel. And and, and you can say a hundred things that are encouraging and they'll remember what? The negative. It's true for me, it's true for you. So knowing that and people who love Jesus and want to be givers of life, what ought we to do? For every one critique, one criticism, one correction, we should be providing the heart of the people around us with five or 10 or 20 encouraging words. So that people don't give up. The next one, if you're not sure you should say something, you definitely shouldn't <laughs> say something. There, uh, I was thinking about starting this message with a very shocking sentence that might be true, but I wasn't totally sure it was. And so I'm not gonna say it, I'm thinking it, but I'm not gonna say it. This is not a pat on my back. This is the Lord whispered in my ear this morning when I was sitting in my office preparing, saying, are you sure about that one? And I said, no. He said, then do what you're telling people and don't say it. We have got to allow God to restrain what we say. Now you're all wondering what I was gonna say, huh? You can come ask me in person if you want to. (laughs) Next one. And this might be the most important one, except for the next one actually is the most important one. Talk to God more than you talk to anyone else. I don't have time for that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It doesn't have to be on your knees and pray. Driving in your car, walking from here to there. When you get up from the couch and you're going to eat the cookie dough out of the fridge, you know, <laughs> talk to Jesus, ask him, invite him into your life. But the, the last one, Listen to God more than you talk to God. We need his voice. We need to hear from him. The point of these is not to make you feel that your thoughts and your feelings and your opinions don't matter at all. In fact, they do. Scripture doesn't tell us to keep bottled up and don't, you know, don't ever say anything. Don't ever, but, but what's the direction of what we express? It's towards God. You should be able to daily, every day, unfiltered, express everything you're thinking and feeling to God. He can handle it. David did it in the Psalms. In the Psalms, David said, God, kill my enemy and smash their kids on the rocks. Is that in the Bible? It is. But then he always comes around and says, but God, you are the lifter of my head. You protect me. You will do in my heart what you need to do. Unfiltered talking to God. Unfiltered expressing your heart, your fears, your sorrows, your joy to God. And we should be able to express those same things to each other. But we need to have a little bit more care when we do it with each other, don't we? So this is not to say, hey, you have nothing good to say, just bottle up and shut up. That is not at all what this is saying. What this is saying is that because we are so broken, we have to keep a very tight rein on our mouths and we need to be sure we're sure we need to say or express something. We need to have safe people that we can unfiltered work through things with. That is true. The problem is that most of us think the entire world is that safe person. It is not. And God is the safest 
because he can filter what you say and he can change the, the, the bad and he can, he can reinforce the good. The point is that we, are, we have a responsibility to keep our mouths surrendered to Jesus and that typically means we must listen more than we speak. Would you stand? Father in heaven, we are broken and we are sinful, but we are so loved by you. We are so accepted by you. And there is so much mercy from you. Pray that the people in this room, the people in our church and the people who are watching at home, whoever calls this place home, would be the kind of people who would go and be with you daily and let you transform us from the inside out. May our mouths not reflect us, but reflect the goodness, the greatness, and the gospel of our God. Thank you for your correction. I pray that this would not lead to deep um, shame in people, but that it would lead to deep seeking of Jesus, intimacy with him, so that our hearts can change everything we do. Lord, we crown you king of our lives. We do not own ourselves. We do not own our mouths. Our mouths, if we have trusted you, are to be megaphones of your goodness and your gospel, not megaphones of our opinions and our thoughts and feelings. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.